Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back to America's Heroes Group and our roundtable with our partner, the Veterans Legislative Voice. February is Black History and American Heart Month. Today is Saturday, February 11th, 2023. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Cleveland, the co-host, Army National Guard veteran. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith. <clears throat> and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have our familiar voice again, once again with us, is Stephanie Collada, served as a U.S. Army Sergeant First Class in the Reserves and founder and creator of the Veterans Legislative Voice. We're going to talk about House Committee to address Junior ROTC sexual abuse claims, a very serious topic. 550 students in the junior ROTC program across the country, 3,390 public schools and private schools, private high schools affected. How are you doing, Stephanie? I'm doing all, I'm doing all right. Um, I'm glad to talk about this subject because this one is a personal one for me. Yeah, so tell us about what's going on. So this is, we know that there's always been problems or have been been an issue where teachers or people, faculty, staff sometimes have inappropriate relationships with their students or make inappropriate advances with students and so on, uh, minors you're talking about. So tell me what's going on with this. Well, I mean, first I got to, you know, have to talk about that, you know, the military has had an issue with uh, sexual violence for a while, harassment and assault. And they're still trying to get their arms around it to try to prevent and also adjudicate. And um, 100% of all JRTC instructors are honorably discharged, honorably discharged and retired to then go on and work for um, the state and the uh, their local districts for the schools. And they have this unfettered access to these students. Um, a lot of the time, uh, I'm a former JRTC and senior ROTC student. Uh, for JRTC, you can have access to these students before school, after school, and during school. This isn't more than just a regular coach or anything like that. You get a lot more access uh, than a lot of other regular teachers out there. And first, before we go into that, uh, tell me a little yeah. bit about the junior ROTC. What is, how is junior ROTC structured? Is, how is it connected to the military? Yeah, let's go that. Let's go with that route. Um, so, Junior ROTC program had uh, stood up more than fifty years ago, mostly to uh, instill uh, civics, government, honor, and duty in the high high school, just to give uh, high school students a taste of the military, so they can decide what whether they want to go in or not. And a lot of times, cadets do tend to uh, sign up afterwards, whether they go to college and commission, or they go to an academy, or they enlist right when they get out. Um, going to JRTC and completing three years more gets you a bump from private from regular E1 private to private first class E3. So you get a you get an instant promotion just for having those three class three years of classes done in high school, um, and it really helps and teaches a lot. I I, I have a lot of personal uh, history with JRTC and it's made me to who I am today. Um, and JRTC programs have a lot of extracurriculars. Um, there's actually drill and ceremony units. They drill teams. They, um, there's rangers that do physical fitness. 
there's shooting teams, the qualifiers, those type of things that can involve students having extra time at the school and with these instructors. And for when you went through JRTC, how did it affect you and what made you join JRTC yourself? I've always wanted to go in the military. Um, Given uh, 9-11 happened when I was a junior in high school, and so I was already having, I was two and a half years in on my ROTC program, and uh, it it really has made me who I am today. The ROTC instructors that I've had are now friends of the family. Like, my dad went on to really work with my um, old Command old instructor on a much more things after I had graduated and left, and so yeah, it's it's a very interesting family that you get when you go through a program and you have these great people that with all of this military experience. I had the instructor that I'm mostly talking about used to be a JAG officer, and he taught us so much more than just what we needed in the regular classroom. He taught us how to be a leader. He taught us how to. Um, work in teams of multiple people with different personalities. He actually, he actually taught us uh, manners and how to address people and all the things to make us into uh, great professionals when we leave high school. He even taught us how to write checks. Wow. So when, <laughs> yeah. a person, so when you start an ROTC program at a high school, from what I understand, you have to have one non-commissioned officer and one officer. Correct. So when and you- majority of these... So Majority does, of these instructors are on, are also male, by the way. I wanted to point this out. Okay. So how does that relationship go bad? You had a great relationship with your instructors. How does this? How does it go bad where things turn sideways? Talk, talk, walk us through that step now of the problem and how uh, how pervasive is this problem? It's a very uh, pervasive problem. Uh, so these uh, these uh, the NCO and the uncommissioned officer they have uh, a ton of access to these. Uh, students, high school students, these minors, and um, a lot of times unsupervised. There's many times where there's probably a hundred students in an area where we're doing our classes and different things, and there's only two instructors, only two teachers for these almost hundred students, and at times it can go as as large as the entire program in one location a couple of times a year, and you only have two people. Um, at times when there are when they do the extracurricular activities, there are sometimes chaperones. Uh, they do encourage and try to get some. It's often not required. Um, a lot of the um, people that had made the complaints uh, sex abuse had actually said that some of these instructors had extra time with these uh, with these students outside of the classroom where there's not very much supervision. Some of the attacks have happened when the instructors are giving these students a ride home. Many of these students are from low-income areas, um, high poverty, and also minorities. So um, when they're in these situations, they think they're going to go into the military because that's how they're going to get that leg up. They're going to get training. They're going to get to school and everything like that. When these things happen to them, they worry that these instructors can prevent them from going in the military. Um, they don't understand or know how much access these instructors may have to uh, lock them out or ha- actually give them a bad experience or, you know, mark on their record before they even get in. Um, there's one um, cadet that had filed 
uh, a complaint and they actually had convicted um, her perpetrator, the perpetrator for the sex abuse. And she was restricted from going in the Coast Guard because of the trauma that she endured. So let me through this again. You said there was a so a person reported someone who had had an inappropriate um, uh, contact with her, whether it be a, yeah. an inappropriate relationship or maybe made a sexual advance or whatever. She was prevented from joining the Coast Guard? Yes, because oh. once they found out about the situation, they were worried about um, mental health complications from the trauma that she already in, endured. Um, so a lot of times for mental, for any health reasons, a lot of uh, military can disqualify someone from enrolling. And mental health is also a condition, uh, the conditions there can also restrict people from joining. But she had the mental capacity to stand up for herself and file a complaint. Yeah, yeah, and still got denied, despite the fact she spoke out and did what she, the right thing on all of that. So her situation is actually what many people in her situation think is going to happen to them. So you would, so they don't so say so anything. would punish someone who actually had the courage and bravery to step forward and say, no, this is not right, I don't care who you are, I'm standing up to power, and I'm going to protect myself. What I hope any yeah. soldier, sailor, airman, marine would do. She gets prevented from serving the country when you have, but it, I guess you would prefer someone to to cower and be fearful and and be worried and be and be molested potentially. Um, actually, there was one case that um, one instructor had told his victim to uh, that she needs to be sexually conditioned to this these actions against her because that's going to happen when she goes in the military. I read one of the reports and mentioned like, yeah, the, the, she was instructed uh, that she was blindfolded and forced to kneel by the instructor's bedside while he pointed a gun to her head. Yeah, it's really disgusting. Um, anybody that's interested on in reading about this, New York Times has, um, uh, has made multiple articles out on this, so you can Google it. Um, the House had done a hearing on it last November. The House Oversight and Reform Committee um, on National Security had done a, a complete hearing on this as well, FYI, for everybody. Now, the thing is, I mean, once again, I want to go um, and get more into the numbers. Do you have an idea about how many mm-hmm. cases we're talking about across the country and, and the, for as, as far as sexual misconduct, harassment, things along those lines with the general ROTC? Well, for, the, for at least the New York Times, they found at least 30. And when they about how many, how long, what type of time frame or window are we talking about time wise for the last five years? And then the House committee had found 60 complaints of sex abuse, 58 were substantiated. And so just FYI, 100 percent of these RTC instructors served honorably without a mark on their record. The The way they get these jobs is from FBI security clearances and record checks. So, um, it, it can get very scary for people. And we know, based off of military sexual trauma, that only a fraction of those that have been sexually abused, assaulted, harassed, even report. Correct. And so so we got to think of this is only at the tip of the iceberg. 60 doesn't sound like a whole lot of, num- uh, whole lot of numbers, but there's 3,000 ROTC programs across the uh, country. I believe there's more than that, too. But out of all of those, there's only two instructors each. Yeah. So they have to have special, I think, uh, uh, you have to go by special guidelines in order to get more people to 
um, which which to me seems uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. But I mean, you would think you would have want to have more people to give more support because if you have a program of a hundred kids, you have to have at least a hundred students, or I think ten percent of your of your uh, high school to participate, whatever is least to participate in the junior ROTC for the military to sponsor it because the military sponsors the uniforms, they give the mm-hmm. money. Things like that. So, uh, yeah. so the the, the the alarming part about it is, as you mentioned, that people are going through with honorable discharges, joining and getting into involved with general ROTC programs. But typically, as we know through this research, and if you just know the numbers, whether you're looking at um, uh, law enforcement numbers, you're looking at census numbers, looking at numbers from uh, health clinics and things like that, typically people that perform these acts have a history of doing that. They don't just one yeah. day turn into a person who's going to be a sexual predator. They usually have a, a pattern of behavior that supersedes that yeah. way beyond the time they got caught. Yes, and, um, and Representative Jackie Spear had made a huge point on this, on hearing that happened last November. Um, for those that don't know, she's been a champion for military sexual trauma, but she retired, and the last congressional session was her last, um, but that she was able to come into that hearing and speak about this because she's been doing it over in the Armed Services Committee on trying to get it, this pervasiveness to end. Um, at least for the New York Times, they said with at least 33 instructors charged with student, uh, teacher-student sexual tra- crimes in the last five years, that means that there is one recorded arrest for every 232 instructor positions. That's a high There's percentage. No- That's very, very high. It's- Yes, and so they. Um, New York Times also did another one, and I'm trying to trying to read it just right. Um, oh, I can't get that. Uh, but the thing is, is that there's no national tracking system for educator abuse. Um, only the state of Pennsylvania actually tracks this. So um, I know we're we're getting close on time, but I do want to encourage people of what what can you do now. Um, one of the biggest things that you guys can do is uh, contact your state and local uh, governments and get your elected officials. We just did all of the elections. You guys should know who these people are. If not, Google it. Uh, find my elected officials, uh, state, local, city, what have you, for the, and also with the school boards, and push for a, national, uh, for a state tracking of these sex uh, abuse between the educators and the uh, students, because this is actually a pretty bad problem, and I've been seeing this on the civilian side as, as well, and it's pretty scary. Um, and then for the federal side, try to push for this to be federalized be, uh, underneath, especially Department of Education, because uh, teachers who might escape a sex abuse allegation and go to another state to get the licensing, they might actually be able to get the licensing done and teach before they get caught again. Wow. Now this is mm-hmm. this is a personal topic for you because you mentioned before in our show that you were a victim of uh, sexual violence as well. So tell me yes. more about that and what and how you how you see this. Uh, what's what is your lens when you read these types of stories and look at these different numbers? Um, it really worries me because, uh, gosh, when I, when I went through my trauma was before the military really started harping on that. Well, excuse me. The, Congress and government and outside sources have been harping on the military to do this because this was prior 2013-14 when all the congressional hearings were happening. So when these things happened to me, I didn't know what the hell to do and who to talk to. And um, as for myself and many other victims that I know or survivors I know, our perpetrators were high-ranking people, well-connected people. And we've mentioned before, JRTC instructors are usually 
E6, E7 and above. E6, they get a, a, a waiver for that. And then for commission officers, they're captains and above. So they've been in the system. They should have a clean 20-year uh, record, but a lot of these people are able to retire honorably despite the fact that they may have allegations against them because of the old good old boy system that we've had. So what do you what do you think is going to happen at this point? What do you, what do you think the military is going to start to really look into this? Because once again, this we know that that in school systems there's always a problem with teachers, vendors, mm-hmm. people that work in staff, even students abusing other students. I was doing research yeah. in this story. I was appalled to understand that a lot of uh, people who, a lot of like children, we're talking about children, students, particularly high school students, who have yeah. been sexually assaulted or, or even to the point of rape, having to go mm-hmm. back to class and sit in the same class with the person that raped them. Yes. Yes, every single day. And then be graded and uh, lots of other things while they're there. And it's very... Um, traumatic and it's very difficult and there's a reason why there is a mental health crisis for um for teenagers right now as well and also those that are veterans and military to me um based off the numbers and the studies that they've done military really hasn't gotten their arms around it yet they've done some good improvements um but it's going to take about three to five years for all of this stuff to take effect and honestly many advocates like myself believe that the military has not has yet to do enough and congress has yet to do enough to actually make a real positive effect here there's still so much more that they need to do to really be able to capture all of the perpetrators prevent it and adjudicate all of that all of those issues so what legal responsibility does the school have because um, from, from my understand school districts typically schools in general charge legally by the responsibility mm-hmm. to provide a safe place for the children in their in their in their care, if they're taking custody of have, these children and they're watching these kids, they have a legal responsibility. Yes, they do, and they can. And uh, parents of these victims can file civil litigation uh, suits against these school uh, schools, the school districts, and anyone that had knowledge of the issues happening on, uh, ha- going on and doing nothing about it. Hmm. Yeah. So to give if us only some... they can do that against the military for not doing anything against those uh, instructors before they got out. Mm-hmm. That would be the best thing. I wanted to hear more about your story. Can you tell us a little bit more if, you, if you're so inclined? I want to, I'm not trying to pry. If you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But if I have permission to ask you, can I ask you that, to tell you more about your story about what happened to you? Okay. Um, so there was uh, – there's multiple, there was multiple attempts, and then one of the completed attempts that's happened to me was someone that I had trusted. Um, I actually submitted my story to uh, protect our defenders, so my, if you Google me, my story's there. It comes up. Um, but uh, one of the people that had pr- protected me the most while I was deployed and really has been my mentor um, had sexually assaulted me at the... Um, welcoming home party that we had and so afterwards i was actually did a follow-on deployment to uh stateside to another unit i had no idea who i could talk to who i should talk to and then i later found out that the perpetrator had also got a great position much higher and could 
touch my deployment missions. Mm. So I kept my mouth shut because I wanted to be able to continue working for the Army Reserve on that stuff. And so it was really hard, and this took a lot of... Uh, a lot of therapy, <laughs> and, mm. but it's, it's, it's been a positive experience, I say, now, because now I can see and help people that have been in similar positions. Did you ever, uh, at some point, uh, make it known or, or to the military for so that they would could correct the problem or, or discipline that person? I did not because I wasn't sure how to actually get it. I don't even think there's enough evidence for that to happen. Mm. Majority of the time that um, these complaints or these reports are substantiated when they are found immediately. So when they get the rape kits, when um, there's witnesses, things like that, that's the majority of the time is when they actually get those um, properly adjudicated and convicted. When you don't have those and you wait a long time, it's very difficult you hear great success stories uh, and convictions when it's been a long time, but not always. And it's typically when you find multiple victims that also have been uh, assaulted by the same person. Hmm. So I encourage people to do it, yeah. but I just, I, at the time, I didn't know what to do, how to do it. And the longer you wait, the harder it is. And I can imagine how tough it might be for a child, you know, to yes. speak up when they don't, once again, have no idea what steps to take don't know who can be believable or not. And if they're thinking about their college career or thinking about going into the military or going to ROTC at the college level, they're probably worried and scared that something might come back on them. Yes. So, so true. And that's been my fear in the past, especially when I was sexually harassed uh, in a few attempted sexual assaults. I, I was afraid I was in a temporary transition, like holding for uh, position and I was worried it was going to affect my career and many other things if I had reported those instances. What would you advise a, a young lady going into military today? Do you think the her first do you think junior ROTC is something that should be um, postponed, uh, stopped, or paused until they get to the bottom of this? Do you think is that to that that severity, or what would you advise a, a person who joins ROTC to do to protect themselves? I do recommend that they probably suspend the programs to try to get their arms around it, and hit, but it's going to be a really hard problem for them because the junior ROTC program is the um, unattended victim of the military's failure to actually prevent military sexual trauma. So it's going to be a really hard problem. I still encourage people to do it um, because you still have the chance of having really great instructors and really great mentors that will change your life for the better. And there's great opportunities that come from it. Um, but I do encourage people to speak out when it happens. Um, a lot more people are now understanding what sexual harassment is because uh, it was also so pervasive and people get so conditioned on what, you know, and now it's not harassment. Not, it's, you know, those, those kind of things. And now more people are more knowledgeable about that. And I do encourage uh, young women and men to volunteer for this. And if anything bad happens, go straight to the cops because those instructors will now be immediately suspended and then their uh, their credentials would be revoked when it's substantiated. Stumpy Collada, thank you for your time again. It was got something provocative and something very pervasive to tell us about, and this is one of those things. 
Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.